Thanks for listening to this message brought to you by Cornerstone Christian Church. For these and other great resources, please visit us at sparkswillfly.cc. Happy Father's Day. You alive? I always say sometimes when I just try to preach on, but I think I can handle this a whole lot better than Mother's Day. And so, uh, Father, we just thank you for your presence in this place today. We thank you for just the love of the Father that we feel in this room. You are awesome, God. Father, we could never declare your wonders enough, Father. Just so thankful to be in this place right now. Father, I pray today that you would help me. You would help me preach the gospel. You would help me preach good today, Father. We thank you for the men that are in this room this morning. We ask you, Father, that you would help us to rise up and take our place as leaders and as dads, that we would be just everything you called us to be. We wouldn't compromise, but we'd be a leader, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a video clip I'm going to show, and it's kind of long, and I'm just going to try to fill it out as I go to see uh, whatever. Um, it's about 12 minutes uh, long, and so we'll see if we get to that. And um, But I, it, it'll drive a point home. Um, that that I want to what that I want to do. So I want to go to the book of Malachi, the fourth chapter. I want to read um, really the last two verses, and then uh, I'm going to talk about fathers this morning. But what I really want to get to um, is uh, what's on me more strong than anything is uh, you know uh, biblical fathers. Uh, how many knows that we need uh, biblical fathers? We need uh, godly men in the church, and um, uh, that. How many knows this too that we are we have an identity crisis in the natural? I mean, when I was a little boy, I didn't hear anything about you know somebody trying to steal your identity, uh, but now we know that that happens all the time. I mean, somebody take your your card information or whatever and order stuff like that. You and you ain't purchased nothing. Um, but there's also an identity crisis in the church that a lot of people don't know who they are. And there's also, too, that I never heard uh, growing up uh, in church, I never heard anything about no orphan spirit, did you? And uh, now that we got all kind of stuff about an orphan spirit, but I'm telling you that the orphan spirit cannot be cast out, it has to be replaced. And what replaces that is when fathers rise up in the body of Christ to take their place, they start revealing the identity of who we are, right? Because that's what a father does. It releases identity to us. And so we want to look at this uh, verse of scripture out of Malachi chapter 4. You've got to think now, uh, I'm just trying to set this up and um, I'll probably uh, do more talking than uh, preaching or whatever. But, um, but in Malachi chapter 4, God's fixing to be silent uh, for 400 years. Uh, God's fixing to be silent, and this is what he's going to leave us with. So let's look at this. He said that in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I strike the earth with a curse. I'm telling you that, that there's the role of mom in the house. Neither one can be replaced. 
Neither one can be replaced. But I'm saying this as a dad and as uh, as a father of three boys, men, we can't afford to fall asleep at the wheel. How many members of the movie Courageous by uh, that the church out of Albany did? And at the end of that, that's a powerful clip. I mean, where where you know, I won't I won't look for you know this person to stand up or the church to stand up for this. I will in my house. How many knows this that I am the pastor in my home? Right? Damon Thompson said it like this, how do we expect a youth pastor to do in one hour, come on now, on Wednesday night what we fail to do all week long? That's enough to pull us all on the order right there, come on now. And so, but uh, there's, Malachi is prophesying about the spirit of Elijah coming in the earth that will turn the hearts of the fathers uh, back into the children and and the children's hearts uh, back to the father. Now let's go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15, it says, "For though you have, but though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, this is the Apostle Paul, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. For though you might have, what, 10,000 instructors, that word instructors means boy leaders, He says, we got a lot of boy leaders in the church, but one thing that we're lacking is fathers. And I want to talk to you about just a couple of things right here that, uh, and I've already said this, that that I'm going to give us three or either four things that fathers do. Number one, they release identity. Look at Matthew chapter three. Look at Matthew chapter three. We're going to look at some verses right quick. Matthew chapter three. Matthew chapter three. Verse 13, it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And, and, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending descending like a dove and uh, alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Father is releasing the identity over Jesus. This is before he cast out a devil. This is before he healed the sick. Come on, somebody. This is before Luke chapter 7 in the city of Nain where he raises the widow woman's son. This is before he goes upon the mountain of transfiguration. The father was releasing identity in him. And what he was saying, you are my beloved son no matter what you do. Come on now. It doesn't matter if you pray all night, you're my beloved son. And what he's trying to say is, I don't want you to base your relationship with me on performance about what you do and don't do. I want you to understand that you're my son. Now let's look at this. How many knows if this identity's not in us, we will get our identity for what we do for God? Come on now. For what we do for God. If you preach, you believe if you're not preaching, you're not pleasing God. Ain't nobody going to help me today, I guess. Look at this. In John chapter 13, I normally don't read this much. I'm, I'm just doing this like Wednesday night, I guess. John chapter 13, but I want you to see this um, where we can get to where we're trying to get to. In John chapter 13, the Father releases identity before he does anything. Now, in, in um, 
John chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come and that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own whom he were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, look at this. Look at when fathers release identity. Here it is. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. There was not one moment in his life where he felt lack. Why? Because the Father had already secured his identity as his son. And he believed if I'm a true son, then everything that my Father possesses is in my possession. How many times do we struggle with that when things go contrary against us, when we're having trouble, when money's acting funny, as Jensen Franklin would say, that we struggle, but we gotta understand that we have all things that he has, right? And our father owns a cattle of a thousand hills. He's not struggling this morning. He's not bound to an economy like we are here. He's not looking at Wall Street to see whether it's high or low. Jesus had this, it settled in his heart, knowing this, that the father had given all things in his hand, look at this, and that he had come from God, come on, he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Amen. This uh, part of identity was uh, settled into his heart. Now the second thing, I'm preaching these quick, try to get us out of here to go eat, okay? The fathers release encouragement. Other words, encouragement or say it like this, they impart courage. Encouragement. How many knows that's a powerful thing? You're listening to so many negative thoughts, you speak to yourself, not even unaware, uh, so much uh, self-talk, even unaware, and most all of it is negative going to you. You hear thoughts, I can't make it, I'm not going to make it, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not big enough, I'm not little enough, I'm not tall enough, I'm not short enough. Fathers release encouragement. Look at this uh, verse of scripture here. In 1 Timothy 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. It says, let no one despise your youth. Look at this. Now, this is a spiritual father speaking to his son in the Lord. Let no one look down on you because you're young. Timothy, I want you to take your place. I want you to take your place in the church. I want you to take your place and do what God called you. Don't let no one look down on you because you're young. But be an example to the believers in word and in conduct, in love and in spirit, in faith and purity. Till I come give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, to the doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by the prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the eldership. Fathers identify gifts in their kids. And they begin to point them in that direction. How many knows the Bible says train a child in the way that it should go? In the way that they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. That doesn't mean just take them to church. We've reduced that scripture. Well, if we take them to church, we train them in the way that they should go. No, that means to find their giftings. Learn what, I mean, I mean, study them. See what their gifting is. See, see, see what their passions is and begin to train them and begin to put them in that lane and begin to encourage them in that lane. Even if they depart, if they get into another field, they will return back to that field. 
Train them in the way that they should go. So this is Paul speaking encouragement to Timothy. Think about just the gift of encouragement. Barnabas has never wrote not one, th- Barnabas didn't write one book of the New Testament. But he found a man named Saul who the church was afraid of, right? Remember how he stoned Stephen and still had his clothes? The church was afraid of him. Remember when Ananias went to go pray for him? When God spoke to Ananias said, go lay hands on Saul. He said, Lord, have you lost your mind? I mean, this man's killing folk. You see? But he goes and prays for him. Listen, when most of the church wanted to reject him, Barnabas took Paul underneath his wing and he just spoke encouragement into his life. Later when they have, um, when Paul, Paul and Barnabas get upset about John Mark, remember that? And they split ways and Paul goes with Silas, but the Bible says that Paul kept John Mark. Later on, when Paul's writing to Timothy, he says, go by and get John Mark. I made a mistake. Bring him in here. Uh, there's something about uh, uh, men, the, the uh, fathers in the church that release encouragement into the young sons and pulls them up to their place. Uh, John Bentley's been playing baseball and he, you can watch a little kid when he gets to the plate. You know, if he don't, if he, he can hear mama saying one thing, but when daddy says, come on, son, get us a base hit, you watch his little hands grip the bat. Why? Because he hears the voice of that father and that encouragement saying, come on, and that son wants to rise up into that place to please the father. Encouragement. Fathers impart courage. Courage to step out onto the thing that God's called us to. Now, I want to finish up. the I know this is a long clip. And I, Catherine actually texted me the other day, and she said, oh, my God, I'm crying my eyes out, you know, because this clip I watched. And so she said, you got to find it. And the clip was actually shown on MLB Network. And I want to, to me, this goes everything to where I want to try to, where I want to land the plane at today and where I want to drive my final nail, okay? So let's watch this clip right here. It's 12 minutes. bring you the remarkable story of lifelong Cardinals fan John O'Leary. 30 years ago, John endured a life-threatening injury at his home in St. Louis, but with the help of the team's beloved broadcaster, John not only survived, but has gone on to inspire others by sharing his story. And that story is about the power of perseverance, friendship, and baseball. We should warn you, some of the images you're about to see may be graphic in nature. Well, good morning. Good morning. Meet John O'Leary. He does this all the time. He tells people his story, and he starts it from the very beginning. When I was a kid, I grew up 15 minutes away from Bush Stadium, and growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, there's basically one thing that we love. We love baseball. Life was good, the Cardinals were winning. This was 1987. It's a great year to be a Cardinal fan and to be a kid. Life is good and then life changed. I'm dying, and then my door opens up, and then I hear this voice. And the voice says to me, kid, wake up. Kid, are you listening? Keep fighting. The voice that spoke to John that day in the hospital was familiar. It belonged to my dad, Jack Buck. Go crazy, folks, go crazy. My dad called some of the greatest moments in sports history. But in St. Louis, he was always more than just a baseball announcer. On KMOX Radio, he was the voice of the city. And that leads back to nine-year-old John O'Leary and that harrowing day 30 years ago. 
My mom and dad were gone early on a Saturday morning, January 17, 1987. I walked into the garage, come over to a can of gasoline, light a piece of cardboard on fire. Before the liquid even came out, the fumes pulled my little flame into the container, created a massive explosion, and then launches me 20 feet against the far side of the garage. I picked myself up. I ran on fire through the flames back into our house, screaming for help, praying for a hero. And that's when I see my brother Jim racing toward me. John was in the entrance hall, lying on a pull rug on fire with about two to three feet of flames coming up above him. I took the rug and I wrapped it around him and brought him outside. You're not prepared when, when you see your, your brother on fire. That day, John O'Leary suffered burns to 100% of his body, 80% of which were third degree. I listened to all that the doctor had said to us when he initially met us. After he finished, I said, are you saying that John has only a 50-50 chance of surviving this? And he said, do you know, you undoubtedly are not hearing what I'm saying to you. John has less than half a percent chance of surviving tonight. The story quickly spread all across the news in St. Louis. It felt like John could have been anyone's kid or younger brother, even if you were part of baseball royalty, like Cardinal legend Red Chaindeen's daughter, Colleen. The next night was the baseball writers' dinner in St. Louis. And I had shared John's story and the O'Leary family story with my mom and dad. And dad said, you know, I have to go out of town tomorrow, but I'm gonna go over to the hospital after I get back in town. And so Jack was walking with us and he says, hey, Red, you want me to go over? And that was it. The day after I'm burned, I find myself laying in a hospital bed. My eyes are swollen shut. So I, I literally can't do anything except listen. I'm laying in this hospital bed and I hear footsteps walk in, a chair gets pulled across the floor, and then I hear this voice, a voice I recognized immediately. It's the voice of Jack Buck and he says to me loud and clear into my darkness, kid, wake up, wake up. You are going to live, you are going to survive. Keep fighting, keep fighting. So John did. He fought and fought his way back. And along the way, my dad came around several more times. One day even providing extra incentive by promising that if John made it out of the hospital, the Cardinals would have a day at Bush Stadium in his name. Six months later, the kid who'd been given almost no chance to live made it to the park. And sure enough, they had John O'Leary Day to honor him. But that wasn't anywhere close to the end of the story. John still had a long road to recovery. Along with all the skin grafts and having to learn to walk again, John's fingers had been amputated, which meant he had to teach himself how to write again. And my dad took note of it. Two days after John O'Leary day at the ballpark, my mother goes out to the mailbox. She comes in with a brown box. She opens it, and inside is a baseball from Ozzie Smith. Below the ball was a note from Jack Buck that read, Kid, if you want a second baseball, 
All you have to do is send a thank you letter to the guy who signed the first. I said to John, you know, if you're going to get another one, you've got to do this. I can't write these thank you notes. So bless his heart, he got that pen and thank you, Ozzy, John O'Leary. So we sent that off. And two days later, I'm at home. Mom goes out to the mailbox, comes in with a second box, a second baseball, a second note that reads, kid, if you want a third baseball, all you have to do. And I, I don't even read the rest of the note. I remember yelling, mom, bring me a pen. I mail it off and a couple days later, I got a third baseball and then a fourth and a fifth. And by the end of 1987, a busy year for the Cardinals, 60 baseballs taught me how to write again, taught me how to use my hands again. Coincidentally, in the middle of that summer, my dad got his own day in Cooperstown, New York. And maybe, not surprisingly, he found a way to take John up there on the stage with him. This job transcends play-by-play. -play. As we tune in, he's delivering an incredible presentation. Right as we're pulling in the driveway, he says, and a kid back in St. Louis now who's as gutsy as a person as I ever met, John O'Leary. I've tried to help, I've tried to... The relationship continued for years after that. When John graduated college, my dad was invited to the graduation party. But the Cardinals had a game that night. Still, he had a gift dropped off. I come over to it, have no idea who it's from, open it up, first the note, and the note reads, kid. This means a lot to me. Hope it means a lot to you, too. Enjoy, it's yours. It's crystal clear. It's the baseball that he received when he went into the Hall of Fame. You work for something all your life, and you're awarded the highest gift you can possibly be given in that field, and you, you give it away. And that's what he did for John. It was very moving. The truth that I knew, and John O'Leary knew, and people across St. Louis knew, is that's who my dad was. Which is why it was so tough as his health began to deteriorate a few years later. He died on June 18th in 2002, when he was 77. He was in the hospital for the better part of five months, uh, leading toward his death. And I never went down there to visit Jack Buck because I never felt worthy of the attention and the love and the gifts and the grace that he had given me throughout his entire life. So one of the great mistakes in my life, and I learned it the day that I got the call that my friend had died, is that I'd never have an opportunity to say thank you for all that he gave. It's painful today to think back on. So our oldest is named Jack, and we named him Jack because I love the name. But the primary reason we named him Jack is because I wanted not only Jack Buck's legacy to live on, but more than that, I wanted my Jack to always have a shining example, a male masculine figure in his life on what real success looked like. And if he can look not only at his dad, I hope, but at Jack Buck on, yeah, achieving success, yes. But what Jack did outside of that broadcast booth is much more significant than anything he did inside of it. John O'Leary still means a lot to the Buck family because he meant so much to my dad, which is why it always matters when I see John. Hi, Joe. How are you? Awesome. Good. Good, Good to see you. Good to see you. Thanks.
What do you think Dad would think about little Joe hanging out with John O'Leary today in the booth overlooking Bush Stadium with the guys warming up? I think he would be moved to tears. Not because I'm here. He'd be moved to tears because of you. He'd be moved to tears and so proud of you for what you did with this opportunity. He would be so much more impressed about you than you are about him. You have taken that little push and really made everybody proud, but most, most of all him. Thank you. Sometimes life can have a funny way of reminding us how far we've come. John O'Leary has accomplished a lot in his life. He's a successful businessman, an author, married to a beautiful woman who's the love of his life with a wonderful family. And he travels around the world telling his story. And this day, he's telling it to a group of guys that represent such a big part hey guys. of why he's never given up. I grew up in St. Louis. I live in St. Louis, have four babies in St. Louis. They are huge fans of the men in the room. So, so am I. It's just a, an amazingly touching story. And his message of never giving up and always having hope was something that always resonated with me. What he says and how he says it makes everybody hear it. Why me? Why am I so lucky? Why am I so blessed? Why do I get to sit here with a bunch of other major leaguers? We're a Cardinal jersey, man. I am supremely blessed. I know it. What an amazing life situation to have it begin with Jack Buck and all he did and then full circle and have John be speaking to the Cardinals. Amazing. Good to see you. I'm Matt. I've heard. <laughs> nice I, to see uh, you, man. I appreciate you being here. That was awesome. Thank Thanks you. for sticking around and for coming in in the first place. Here I am in front of a group of St. Louis Cardinals signing autographs for the very team that 30 years previously, I was in a wheelchair in awe as they're signing autographs for me. Can I make it out to you? Please do. My mom and dad referred to my event as a child as John's accident. What I hope people hear when they hear me speak is this opportunity that we all have to wake up from accidental living to truly lead inspired lives. So people frequently ask me, if you could go back in time and blow out the flame, would you do it? The fire, that decision, the events that happened afterwards, the men and women who came into my life, they are the reason why I'm with you today. So when I go back and blow it out, or when I go back and change it, I want to change a thing. That's a wholesome story, ain't it? All right, let's finish with this right here. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm very aware of the time right here. So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. All right, I'm probably going to cry on this last part, but I, this is, I could have just showed you the film and just preached what I really want to say right here. First was just freebies, but this is what I want to say right here. If I can, glory to God. I want to read this verse of Scripture in verse 14 and 15. Help me, Holy Ghost. It says, Now for the third time, I'm ready to come to you 
and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents. But the parents for the children. Look at verse 15. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthian church. And he says, I will be very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love, the less I'm loved. What I long to see, and I hope to see this before I die in the South, is we've got to have godly fathers to rise up in the church that are willing to be spent. That are willing to be spent. What he says is it's not right for the children. We've had a vein of the apostolic to come in here to try to put fathers on a pedestal and fathers on a throne to send their money to the top and hoping and believing God that the blessing would come back down. I do not believe that. You can't prove that to me in the Bible. I've lived my life to see this one thing. Here was a man that did not, Jack Buck, that worked his whole life to gain one thing and then give it away at the end. And the impact that what he worked for to give away at the end has now changed lives all over the country. This is what God wants. This is how the investment comes. And the Apostle Paul said, what I'm willing to do for you is that I'm willing to spend everything that I've made, everything up to now, I'm willing to invest it in your lives. There's a powerful scripture in Hebrews 11 talks about Abel being dead, yet he speaks. How does a dead man keep speaking? He speaks through the legacy of the father that planted into his life. I lost my dad at 52 in 2006, but that man still speaks today. He speaks through me and things that he instilled into my life. And now, I wasn't blessed to be raised by... My dad wasn't a Pentecostal preacher, wasn't tongue talker, whatever. I mean, he was just a country boy, okay? He didn't know the Lord really to the last, uh, last maybe year of his life. But one thing that I know about my dad is he modeled how to live unselfishly to me to be a father one of the first characteristics you gotta have is you can't be selfish how many members when we're little when we hear the you know we hear people talk how it's more blessed to give than receive and when you're little you're like my god what are you talking about it's a way more of a blessing than receive than to give right until you but until you become a dad till you become parents and then at christmas time you let you know Let's just say this, if at Christmas time you're not looking around saying, you know, man, that's what I'm getting for Christmas. You know what I'm saying? I can tell you what I've got for Christmas the last several years of my life, a big fat nothing Santa Claus seemingly overlooks. But you know what? Santa Claus don't overlook the little ones, does he? Come on. And so that, that, is, that is fatherhood. That is where we learn how that it is more blessed to give than receive when we see those children when their eyes are so big and you know what it costs you to get it, right? And so this is where the Apostle Paul is saying that, 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 that the fathers has got to lay up for the children. We have got to raise up a generation that where we can hand the baton off. Every dad's dream in here, you don't want your kid to go scratch it out from nothing. You want to be able to say that wherever your platform is, that's what you, that's what you, that's, that's where they start, right? And so, but some, but 
let's just be honest down here in the South, why is it that seemingly that every generation has to start over? Why are we having to redig the wells? Why can't the fathers just keep the well open? Come on, somebody. Why I don't want my son to have to redig anything that I've dug. I want to I want to keep it open so that he has a place to start from from there and increase the well. So, this deal of living a life to be spent. See, if we're going to be an apostolic church, and I believe God has, that means you called to the dirt. That means you're not called to the glorious. You're not called to the... I'm not saying you're not called to the glorious, but what I'm saying is you're not called to big numbers sometimes. The apostolic is the base level, and that's the tough. It takes a... How many knows this? It takes a lot of cutting to be a father. I remember, <laughs> hey Lord, I remember one time that, yeah, we was, we was sitting in the house and uh, uh, Grant said, Daddy, you go get you a new bow or whatever to go bow hunting with. He's talking about the kind of whatever. The thing's about $1,000 or whatever what he's talking about. And so uh, I said, I said no, nah, I said, I won't be getting no bow. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, I said, I can't afford no bow or whatever. And so actually he looks at it, he said, well, just tell, just, just tell Santa Claus to bring it. Just put that on your list. And that way you don't have to pay for it. So I'm putting that on my list this year so I don't have to pay for it. Now, I thought about this. Show a picture right here. You will see me back in, this is back around 2004. You'll see that I had hair and I was younger. Put a, That's a picture of my dad. All right, take it off. He's been, uh, I lost my dad in 2006. Didn't lose him. We know where he's at. But he modeled a life that I've seen that I've seen very few in the godly men that I've had the privilege of serving with. <clears throat> he modeled a life of unselfishness. If something was needed in our household, he was the last one to make sure that everyone else had. What I've seen in the church in the South is I've seen leaders try to get everything before there was anything left to the sons. I'm telling you, when this changes in the South, God will drop the, red, will drop the green flag. I believe in honor. I honor my father. I believe in all of that. Are you with me now? But there's something that's been wrong. Well, that's all. I'll go home and pray some more. Maybe I'll get some more revelation and more wisdom than you have. So my dad, I, I pull up one day. I was Kathy and I had gotten married. Grant was a little. Uh, Grant was a baby. So I pull up to see him, and I pulled up to. Uh, I pulled up to. The, they, they were building this house, and so I went in there and I hollered, you know. And my dad was in there, and he come outside. And as he walked outside, my dad uh, did uh, finish work. He crown mold and uh, baseboard and trim windows and paint. He did. He finished the house or whatever. And so anyhow, when I got there, I noticed that. This finger here was already taped like with a shop towel. And he had done bled through that one. And this other finger was bleeding. And I said, Dad, I said, did you cut your fingers? And he said, no. And, and Steve, I know what I'm talking about, the builders in this room. But when you, when you say in your crown mold or whatever, my dad would every time work with him, he'd make us sand it 400 times. And he, I said, Dad, when is it sanded? He said, when a fly lands on it and he can't stand, we got it sanded enough. That's what he did. And so, but anyhow... When you get it, you take, you take a bead of white lightning, 30 out 6 caulk, and it's run down that baseboard. And you think about a 2,600-square-foot house, how many times those fingers drag every window, every crevice, 
filling every hole. And when I saw his fingers bleed, the first thing thought that, the first thought that come to me was every time I said, "Dad, can I have twenty dollars? Dad, you got forty dollars. Dad, do you got sixty dollars?" The price that he paid to hand me that money, and he handed it to me without any problem. Now I want to finish with this. The Bible says in Proverbs thirteen twenty two. That a good man leaves an inheritance to his kids. I don't believe this is just speaking of money, but I believe we've got to leave far more than money as an inheritance into their into our kids. Number one, we should have a spiritual inheritance. Every dad in this room should be pioneering to leave your kids some kind of life in the realm of the spirit. All of our money, listen, it don't mean a thing if we don't hand them the main thing. And the main thing is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says it like this, what does it matter if a man gain the whole world, yet he lose his own soul? I want Grant to hit home runs. I want him to catch big fish, but if he don't have a relationship with Jesus, none of that means a hill of beans, friend. We've got to leave an inheritance, not just money, not just vacation homes. We've got to leave an inheritance in the realm of the Spirit. Amen. You agree with me in this room that here it is. It's willing to be spent. It's willing to say that I feel like what God is saying to me, and I ask God sometimes, why, why do I have to have this call? I think every preacher battles that. Why didn't you give me the call to just play and sing? Why do I have to have this call? But it's hard sometimes to live life in the back seat and allow others to live in the front seat. How many knows we all battle envy and jealousy? Am I the only one in the room? I guarantee you, we ate up with it. Envy is the secret pain you feel at someone else's success. If you don't believe we envy us, just go to any baseball game and you'll find out right quick. Let the coach pull your son and put somebody else in. Hello. Take your kid off the mound and put someone else in. <laughs> That's envy. So the inheritance. It also is the memories of the times that you've invested into their life. Every dad has got to make, we've got to make an investment. The Catherine always says this, said, I, I don't really, I'm not a rester, I'm always going, even if I'm sitting in the chair, I'm going, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, uh, but she says, you've got to learn how to slow down. But I've never been in a, in a hospital room when someone's dying, says, I wish I'd have worked a little harder. I wish I'd have worked six days a week instead of five days a week. I've never heard that. I've never heard a man say, I wish that, I wish that I'd, have, I'd have made twice the amount of money I did. They'll always say, I wish I'd have spent more time with my family and with my children. And so is this. Shut, throw, throw one of those pictures up. Show the pictures of Big Daddy. So I live every day knowing that God gave me the three boys on the left. The one on the right is my adopted son, I guess. But the, one, the three on the left... I want to leave them inheritance. Life in the spirit. Let it be said if Grant has to preach my funeral. Not that daddy taught me just how to fish. My dad taught me how to pray. My dad had a passion for the word of God. My dad had a passion for the things of God and for the presence of God. And he also taught me how to hunt and he also taught me how to fish. I'm still trying to teach him how to hit a home run. But those things are come. So listen, I said all this today. When it comes to the things of the Spirit, we got to have men in this room 
There is men in this room. There's there's men in this room that has mentored uh, other men, uh, other guys in this room that are not their natural dad. But that investment will never go unlooked. Look at Jack Buck. Man, I thought about this, his own son. How That's his own son sitting there with John O'Leary. His own son didn't get the Hall of Fame ball. But John got the Hall of Fame ball, and not one time did he say, hey, you know, maybe they did it off camera. I think I deserved the ball. What he said was, you took my dad's investment, that little shove. This is what, this is what we all need in the church. Are you with me now? Sometimes I just needed a little shove. I know that Stanton's going to need a little shove. I know that Junior's going to need a little shove. And we take that little shove, just like this morning, just like with Dale. I texted him and I said, I want to thank you for the investment, for the little shove shove. It didn't go unnoticed and it didn't get planted in some dull seed somewhere but it got planted in good ground because I took what you gave me and I brought increase to it. This is what fatherhood looks like in the church. It looks like men being willing to be spent for the sake of others. Maybe I don't get to stand and preach tonight. Maybe I don't get to go to the nations. Maybe I don't get to ride the planes. But listen, if I pour into Stanton and he gets to do it, I'm there with him. Every time he stands up, I'm there with him. I'm speaking through him. I'm talking through him. That investment comes up. This is what fatherhood is. You with me? But we have to be willing to be spent. One thing that I know about us also in the South, a lot of people live for themselves. We will never see revival wanting to live for ourselves. We won't see it. It's never going to happen when we want to live for ourselves. We got to be unselfish. The Apostle Paul says, I'm willing to be spent. I'm willing to put it all out on the I'm, I'm willing to put it all out on the floor. This is what my dad said one time, and I'm done. I thought about the quote by Mark Twain also. Remember when he said when he was 16 years old, his dad was the dumbest guy he knew. By the time he made it to be 25, he was amazed at how much the old man had learned in that short period of time. <laughs> I was cutting up with it the other day when Grant was talking. I said, you know, he's a meteorologist. My son, he's a meteorologist. I mean, there's about nothing much he don't know. But I was the same way with my dad. And I remember one day dad was working on my truck. And we was having to put brakes on it. And I looked out there. Now think about this. I'm listening to the radio inside the truck while he's changing the brakes. And I look out and I say, Dad, are you going to hurry up and get this truck going? I got to go to town tonight. And my dad, I probably can't repeat the first word he said because we're in church. But you say it at home. But listen. He said, son, there's one thing I hope for you. There's one thing. I hope one thing. That God would allow you to have one thing. And I said, what's that? He said, I hope you get a son as hard-headed as you. I got three. And the third one came with a double package. Asher. Catherine comes in last night. John just deal with it. I'm done with it. I'm done with it. You know what, as fathers, this is what we got to do. We got to impart courage into them. We got to impart courage into them. Each kid's different. You understand that, right? Now, Grant and Asher has no problem with confidence. Asher believes he's going to the big leagues right, right, right now. John Bentley, I had to remind him that he can do it. 
I had to impart courage. I had to live a life that is unselfish. That's hard. Is that easy in this room? It's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to live that way, but we got to live that way. So, Father, I just thank you this morning. I want to pray over you right quick. Just, just stand up on your feet. I'm going to pray over you right quick. Thank you every day when you're going through. John O'Leary's got a powerful uh, TED talk where he talks about the power of one. When one person walked in that room and said, get up. When I watched that, all I could hear is this. Terry, I honestly believe this, that ministry is all about the kid. It's all about the kid. Being willing to invest in the kid. Be willing to invest in the kid. We got to be willing to invest in the kid. The kid's going to make mistakes. But we got to be willing to invest in the kid. Put the resources in the kid. Not the kid putting resources into us. What kind of natural living happens like that anyhow? Just Why would we even adopt that in the realm of the spirit when it don't even happen in the natural? Now I can promise you this, if I'm sitting there living at my house, not working a job or nothing like that, and got my three boys out there hustling and bustling to pay my bills, my father-in-law is probably fixing to come put his foot in my big rear end. That's not even natural, is it, Mr. Billy? Same way in the realm of the spirit. Fathers have got to lay in fest into the sons. Father, I thank you today for the opportunity to share the gospel in this room. I thank you for every dad that's in this room. I thank you that we're a room full of champions. We're a room full of mighty men that David had. And Father, I thank you that um, just for all that you're doing into our lives, I thank you that we have the privilege to make the greatest impact that the world has ever seen just by being a great father in our home. Help us today, God. Give us the grace to overcome the struggles in our lives. Let us take out the lions. Let us take out the bears. Help us be men, real men, Father, that love you with our whole heart, that are living examples, God. Help me, Father. I pray there's times I lose it. There's times I raise my voice. There's times, God, that I just plainly do not represent you. But I ask today that you would forgive me. And Father, that you would help me be the living example in my homes where we could, we could be men in this room like the Apostle Paul that said, imitate me as I follow Christ. Give us men that we can imitate their life and know that we're following hard after you, God. I thank you for that. I thank you for godly men in this house. I thank you for raising up young men in this house that we can invest our lives in, that we can be spent and that we are willing to spend our, ourselves upon them in the mighty name of Jesus I pray today help us have a great let us have a great time with our family as we go enjoy as we go enjoy a meal together outside of this house and as we just enjoy life together Lord help us to make time for the memories God don't let us work all the time trying to chase a dollar but let us stop and rest sometimes that we know that we're leaving a inheritance to our children in the mighty name of Jesus amen and amen God bless you we'll see you here Wednesday night Thanks for listening to this message. For more exciting content, visit our website at sparkswillfly.cc and connect with us on social media.